0: Welcome to the beer in a movie podcast, a podcast where we combine two of the great forms. Welcome to the beer. I just gurneyed that. Mm-hmm, Welcome. To the- Welcome to the beer in a movie podcast, a podcast where we combine two of the greatest art forms known to humanity: beer and movies. Sometimes achieving outstanding pairings, and other times giving us our giving ourselves the opportunity. To wash the terrible taste of failure from our mouths, that's what you have to work with. Carlos, my name's Joe Hilliard, and I'm of course, as I am every week, joined by two great guys.
1: Carlos Cooper. And Dave Gurney.
0: And we have talked about this episode for months.
2: I would say we've talked about this episode for something like 82 episodes.
0: Yeah, you're right. Maybe not on air, the but beginning. Um, yeah, I amongst,
2: amongst ourselves. I, I think I've been campaigning for it since the beginning, at least.
0: Oh, I've always looked forward to today. Uh, I just didn't know that we would do it in separate locations. But before we talk about what we're doing and why we're so excited, let's not do what we did last week. Let's get some beer or our glasses ASAP. We're doing something a little different this uh, first half of the episode.
1: What Joe is referring to is that this week uh, we went out uh, – individually, again, um, to one of our local breweries um, who is pivoting as many uh, places of business are these days, um, even if they're providing essential items or trying to do so in ways that minimize contact with uh, any space or the people in them. And so they're doing curbside pickups um, where you can pre-order. The the brewery we chose here is one we've had on the podcast before, Rebel Toad Brewery out of uh, Corpus Christi, Texas. And the beer that we chose to try to all get our hands on through this curbside process, and then as I'm opening mine, maybe uh, you guys can jump in and talk about your curbside experiences. <laughs> but the the beer we chose from them is their Suicide Blonde, which is actually kind of a cuvee. Uh, it's a it's a mix of beers. Their um, Double IPA Suicide Hop and their own uh, Blonde, which is Bombshell Blonde or am I, no, not Southern Star. Wrong.
2: It's just the Rebel Blonde.
1: It's just Rebel Toad Blonde. Rebel Blonde. Rebel Blonde, thank you, okay. I I apologize to Hector uh, for for giving him the wrong name there, but I'm pouring some into my glass right now.
0: Well, it couldn't have been easier. I'm sure y'all had the same exact experience. I went on to their website. I prepaid for a couple of crowlers that would get me uh, through the Oh, my first 30 minutes at home <laughs> say, would get you through about 20 seconds. All right. This and, is- uh, but you know, they, they want you to pay online, so you're avoiding transactional behavior. You're avoiding trading money or a credit card. That's all taken care of before you get there. Carlos, you probably saw the same thing. You pull up to the back uh, garage.
2: I knew it was going down. I bartend there sometimes. Um, uh-huh. So I, wasn't, uh, I was familiar. Um, I talked to Hector and Natalie a little bit about what they were doing. Um, so I knew, just pull up to the back, someone will come out, see you, give you your stuff. And I pulled up, Hector came out with my two crowlers, handed me the crowlers, gloves on, walked away. You know, we nice. live,
0: we talk about it a lot. We live down in Texas and, uh, we're, we're no matter state, well, no matter what state you're in, you're limited by the state laws of beer distribution. I don't think Texas has gotten their head or at least where we live, Corpus Christi has not gotten their head around alcohol delivery yet.
1: No, not, not. Uh, at least not uh, in a way that allows our breweries to be able to send their stuff out that way. Um, everything in Texas right now—it seems like you, you've got to go to the facility, right? You got to do the curbside pickup, yeah, um, or or perhaps a quick uh, entry into the building, picking up your order, coming out. Because I know some of the breweries out there in other states, some that we've had on this podcast, Superior Bathhouse being one that uh, I know we, we all have a, a soft spot for. We've enjoyed their beers in the past. They've touched off debates on, on the program. Uh, They are doing deliveries, um, and I've seen them posting on their social media. It makes me kind of jealous. I want to be in one of those areas, one of those states that's forward-thinking enough to allow their uh, small businesses to be able to still operate in those ways. I would love to be able to put in the order and just have it show up on my doorstep.
2: Yeah, that would be amazing, but alas.
0: Alas, quality of life, quality of life businesses. We'll probably talk about this today, record stores, uh, but but the food service, drink service industry, uh, they, they began struggling first. And so I know the three of us have used as many opportunities as we can to go to the breweries to have this same kind of thing, pick up some beers to go, put a little money in their pocket. I asked Hector at Rebel Toad, how's it going? He goes, this is getting us by.
2: Yeah, that's, you know, it's all you can really do. Try to try to stay open.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah, we're. I know the three of us. I know you've gone at least to one other place, David. I've went to the other downtown spot, the ones that are convenient to home. Go quickly buy some local beer if I'm going to go buy beer or try to get some beer because those local dollars are very important.
1: Absolutely, I, I've I've tried to hit. Um, there, there's only one of our. We don't have you know a huge number in our area. We have approximately five right now that are operating. Um, maybe a sixth, although their, their, um, status is a little tenuous, I think, and I'm not sure if they're, they're selling any right now, but of the five that are going, I've been able to do curbside at two, um, and then the quick, you know, pickup version going into the facility at two others. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm trying to, I think, support some of these local places because I'd hate to see them all disappear here in the next couple months. Um, while we're all on lockdown, which, as we know, a lot of small businesses, they don't have the kind of uh, reserves that would allow one to just go for extended periods with no income. So uh, trying to do what I can.
0: Yeah. Uh, I've poured this suicide blonde into my glass. If I hadn't heard your explanation of the mixture with an IPA, I'd be really confused. The color on this thing is not what I would expect in a blonde at all.
1: No right, yeah. the the, the name uh, having blonde in it is perhaps it makes sense given what it is, but yeah, misleading if you're thinking color wise. It actually comes off kind of like an amber um, in in a certain way, I would say mm-hmm. uh, light wise, but uh, or or uh, color wise.
0: And if they've uh, mixed this with a, if they've mixed this with an IPA, you, it's certainly on the nose.
1: Yeah, you definitely get some hop character there for sure, mm-hmm. and it is right, a pretty so- yeah.
0: What are we doing? Uh, What is this episode that we've been anticipating for so long, Carlos? I'm just going to give the floor to you. This is Carlos's time to shine. Uh,
2: Yeah, sure, I guess. Um, (laughs) uh, uh, As you referenced earlier, um, we are talking about one of the all-time perennial record store uh, movies uh, that has ever been made, uh, adapted from a book by Nick Hornby. Um, It is 2000's High Fidelity, starring John Cusack, Jack Black, Lisa Bonet. Uh, We get some Catherine Zeta-Jones in there. Um, We sure do. Great great cast of characters. Um, Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, so basically, everybody probably knows this already because it's kind of, I don't know. Maybe, yeah, well, no, give the, give maybe, the, maybe i overestimate it, 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 its place it, 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 in like the pop culture zeitgeist um but
1: yeah i mean it is a 20 year old film you do realize we just passed i think uh march 31st 2000 was when it was re- released yeah so we were watching it roughly at the time it was turning 20
2: yeah um i had watched it right before that um and i was like oh shit i should have waited but yeah so <laughs> movie about this guy played by john cusack rob gordon the movie begins with uh, his girlfriend, long-term girlfriend, walking out and leaving him and moving elsewhere, and it sets him off on this, um, for, you know, I guess In this is like, this is kind of sugarcoating it, but this, this is kind of sugarcoating it, but a journey of self-discovery, uh, about why all of his relationships are doomed to fail, which is incredibly obvious to anybody <laughs> uh, <laughs> that is watching him uh, in the way that he you know behaves and stuff like that. But it's about that, about his life
1: uh, as you know, a record store <laughs> owner, lovelorn, not knowing record store what to do owner. With himself. Yes,
2: but that doesn't really quite capture it because he's in a business that is notoriously not very profitable. Sure. Um, And so he's not a burnout, but he's, you know, like um, an underachiever to a certain degree, um, especially given the high esteem in which he holds himself and his like intellect in. Uh, But yeah. And so then top five breakups of all time. Let's go back and talk to all all the all the women in the top five and figure out what went wrong,
1: and then it goes from there. What once he introduces that top five concept there with the top five breakups of his life, initially introducing it just to say that the uh, the current girlfriend uh, who's leaving him does not make that top five at least initially. Maybe she'd break um, you the know- top ten. You're right. Right. Um, but it introduces a motif that returns throughout it where they're constantly in the store and, and even when he's just talking, breaking the fourth wall, talking to us as the audience, talking about, you know, listing things, ranking them top fives. The, these guys are, you know, he owns and works in a record store. His employees work there as well. But they're also kind of amateur critics and, and they're, they're constantly wanting to rank things and, and uh, come up with unorthodox approaches to ranking those things.
0: And that brings me to my first question for Carlos. And I think I have a top five list of questions I have for him. In your record store, Hybrid Records, best record store in Corpus Christi, do you guys go into these kinds of conversations? Yeah, I can only imagine that vinyl's playing all day long. And if you've got a co-worker there with you, are y'all constantly talking music?
2: Yeah, I mean, we don't really top five that much. We have on occasion, but it's not like our normal uh, go-to, but... Uh, Yeah, I mean, there's definitely a lot of these kinds of discussions, you know, critiques of uh, things that are extremely popular and how deserving of said popularity that those things are, or maybe things that are underappreciated and like, you know, why they're as good as they are and why doesn't anybody... Why don't most people understand Trout Mask Replica? I don't know. Uh, you know, but I mean, that's like a really easy go-to.
0: Well, have either of you read the book, uh, High Fidelity by Nick Hornby, that this movie is based on?
2: I have. Yes.
0: Yeah, I can only imagine both of you have. Uh, back in 1995, when that book came out, it hit a great spot for me. And of course, you both know that the source material is filled with the top five. That's where they get the idea. hmm is uh, that the, the author presents that the character in the book does this, he and his friends do this. So I, when the movie was coming out, I remember it very vividly because I was such a fan of the book. I didn't have any fear about it not being um, translated very well. I thought that John Cusack and everything I knew about him prior to 2000 would be a, the perfect Rob, and could they get the tone of the book right? That was important. I didn't know much about Jack Black, I think, before I went to go to the theater to see this movie. But this was certainly a star-turning... Start making role for for Jack Black.
2: Yeah, this was his breakout, really into like mainstream success. Not that he hadn't like done anything at all before it, but he had an opportunity to kind of uh, play with house money in this movie because he was. I mean, he's not the focus of it, you know. Like he doesn't have to right. like carry the film. He doesn't have to be the most entertaining part of it, and he kind of just got to go in. And take this kind of eccentric, zany character, and you know, make him like unique and put his stamp on it. And mm-hmm. it showed, you know, the world like, oh, this guy is hilarious. Like,
0: it's all about his timing. His timing is incredible.
2: Yeah, his timing, the his his inflection, the you know, he does like the the kind of Cosby impression when he's roasting Rob at one point. You know, like. <laughs> all the all those kinds of things.
1: Yeah, it's it's a perfect character arc for him too, right? I mean, especially to audiences that don't know this guy for the most part, although he had been doing a little of the Tenacious D stuff on HBO, I think, before then. But I mean, that was kind of a small uh, niche. Mr. Show, in.
0: Mr. Show. Let's give him some Mr. Show love.
1: So, but, but here you have this guy who to most people was an unknown, mm-hmm. playing a goofy character, kind of, yes, good delivery, pretty, and then as it goes on, more and more a chance to show off his comic timing physical right like that he's very over the top with his just and you know grabbing people and um and but then it builds to that you know climactic scene there um at the double door where uh his his band which has gone from being sonic death monkey to being Barry jive and the help me out the something Show
0: I can't remember, um,
1: but th- there where he like actually does a pretty darn good facsimile rendition of uh, you know Marvin Gaye's. Uh, we put it stepped
0: on. on you, Carlos. What was the name of the band?
2: No, sorry, I just I looked it up and just interjected. It's uh, Barry Jive and the Uptown Five.
1: Uptown Five. Uh, thank you. Yes. <laughs> so, but anyway, it, where he like he totally shines is this really you know, skilled singer in a way that shocks the character of Rob, shocking most of the audience. I think most people who were seeing that then were kind of, you know, floored by, wow, this guy who's been the goofball all along has some singing chops and led perfectly into him exploding as you know, again, Tenacious D getting bigger and then all the other shallow how and these other roles that kind of came right after that.
0: Yeah. I I read a bit of trivia that after the premiere, the Cast and crew party, you know, where the studio execs get to go after the premiere, Tenacious D performed.
1: Mm. Interesting. That would be great. Makes um, sense. Yeah. So it was fun. It was fun to go back to this one. I'm glad we finally got around to this episode. Um, this this was a film. I had not read the book uh, prior to seeing the film. I, I was in 1995. I was in high school. I don't know if I just wasn't. I don't think I was paying attention to contemporary fiction. I was reading whatever was assigned to me and maybe getting into Weirdo sci-fi, you know, Vonnegut and stuff here and there, but but not really paying attention to contemporary uh, literature. So
0: smoking your smoking your clove cigarettes.
1: So, yeah, that was freshman year or eighth grade something. <laughs> um, but but anyway, ninety five. But then I remember when this came out very distinctly because it was my my senior year in college. I was getting ready to graduate. This is like a m- couple months before I was getting ready to get done. So it was kind of this unwinding sort of culminating' li- you know, getting ready to leave this behind, getting ready to move on. so it was it was kind of a, a whatever moment I had built up in my head. And here comes this movie that's getting kind of raved about that's you know john cusack who i already like you know i mean his his 80s stuff and and uh stuff in the early 90s had had stuck with me but he had kind of i mean gross point blank had come out a couple years before that and i do remember that one but i but he was a guy who felt like oh maybe he's not gonna have this longevity in his career and yet lo and behold here comes this film that totally speaks to everything that i would want it to in terms of obsession with popular music um, you know interest in romance though my life with romance was never as tortured as his was um, you know I, I could understand the wanting to equate one's romantic life to these different songs and all that um, and, and just great comedy I mean like it's just really well written and a lot of that that was eventually what sent me to read the book and a lot of that dialogue is pulled in from the book I mean some of the best lines in there um, are things that they pulled from the text Hornby is if nothing else a great writer of dialogue
0: mm-hmm. And let me say a couple things, Carlos, and then I, I really want to know the record store owner's review of this film. This uh, Jack Black's the first of many of a fantastic supporting cast in this. Uh, we listed the names earlier. Uh, Todd, help me, Louiso? Louiso.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: incredible. I mean, the three of them together and all of the scenes they have to do perfectly paired to have three different, very you know, different personalities in the room together, which would be the best cinematically, to present the kinds of, not just music-filled conversations, but minutiae filmed conversations. I'm thinking immediately of when Todd Luizzo comes to John Cusack's place to invite him out to hear some music, but John Cusack's in the middle of a life-transformative record reorganizing uh, project of his own. And Todd Luizzo, he's got a live live show to go see, but this And touching and the tactile and the ordering of music might, if you want me to stay, I'll stay and help. Those those kinds of little things. Watching a movie 20 years old, and the movie we're going to talk about in our second, another record store film that we're going to talk about in the second half. Watching them after the fact, the only thing that I really took away from this film after having really, really, really enjoyed it when it first came out, I probably saw it a couple times since, was how well does it hold up? How well does this movie hold up? And that's where the Carlos, I think, really comes into play because, yes, it's a studio film, as is the second film we'll discuss today, but this studio presentation of this lifestyle, I think, was really, really well done and holds up pretty well.
2: Uh, yeah, I mean, it is, like, pretty accurate, I would say, um, as, uh, you know, someone who, uh, before did this every day, not as much, you know, this isn't really my life anymore at this juncture, uh, hopefully it'll be again at some point, but, uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know, this is the kind of stuff that happens, like, there are some, like, exaggerated things in it, and some stuff where it's, like, um maybe letting characters play out certain fantasies uh, that at least in my experience are not real. Like um, the thing I'm really referencing is Jack Black telling that guy to go to the mall. And yeah, he is yeah. like, you know what? He's like, there's no way your daughter likes it. Do you even know your daughter? Oh, is she in a coma? Uh, and then yeah. he's like, oh, okay, I didn't know Was pick on the middle-aged square guy day and then of course rob yells at him say like, oh i'm sorry i didn't know i was offending your golf buddy and like <laughs> there are 100 times that i've wanted to do that like every fucking christmas people come in and are like do you have this and it's all just like bullshit like target crap That like at least now in the vinyl resurgence era that we live in, you can go to Walmart or Best Buy or Target or Barnes and Noble and get all this bullshit that I don't want to have to fucking think about, you know, like (laughs) I don't like I don't want to have to stock five seconds of summer records. I don't want to do it and I'm not going to, you know, and people come in. Just like once a year for the like you know their kids that they don't really know that they just got a list texted to them of like this is the stuff I want and they're just like checking off the the boxes and there's no thought or consideration put into any of it and expect me to just have it like on a fucking Amazon warehouse or something you know uh,
1: so like there are so things what like that getting here is that this is a truly cathartic film for you it I, I mean. no I mean it is it's nice and
2: like and and you know like yeah I, sometimes people ask for something and you're like really.
1: I, I can understand. I I can tell you that
2: there has never been and nor have I ever wanted there. I've never had this particular urge, but, uh, the captain beef heart, safe as milk, French import, like <laughs> right, I, right. I have never felt somebody undeserving of something like, it, it, do you have money? All right. You take it. You know, I don't give a shit, like whatever. What Joe?
0: Well, that, that's a question I, I actually have because. In both of our movies today, there's this balance that Hollywood wants, or Nick Hornby, the author, wants us to understand is the tightrope between cool and, dude, yeah, I'll sell you that Stevie Wonder album because I'm going to make X dollars on the sale of it. How cool, God, I hate that word, how cool do you have to remain but still think about the profitability of a record store in 2020? Forget (laughs) COVID.
1: So we're we're getting off the film, and you're just interviewing Carlos as a record story. Yeah, owner at this point. This my my
0: last. <laughs> uh, I have three more, and I. <laughs>
1: <laughs> don't get me wrong, I'm curious, but Joe, usually you're the tangent police, and I feel like you're. We haven't Am even talked about the film, and well, yeah. you you know, like, you guys are getting too specific. People oh, are-
0: everyone's seen High Fidelity. <laughs> now, uh, one of the beer and a movie guys owns a record store, and we're talking the record store movie finally. Now, y'all take it somewhere else if this isn't the place to no, go. No, 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 no.
1: I, I don't want to.
2: Yeah, I can, I can answer that question very quickly. I mean, there's. I it, I wouldn't des- I wouldn't describe it as Plus, cool. I'm
0: drinking. A, I'm drinking a crawler by myself, so <laughs>
2: <laughs> I, I wouldn't necessarily, you know, describe it as like cool or like whatever. But you have to have an identity like as a brick and mortar store these days, you know, like, sure, people want to come in and buy Greta Van Fleet or whatever fucking bullshit. But like, that's that's like <laughs> we just lost 10 listeners. That's a hu- <laughs> that's like a huge, like mainstream, like radio band that like their stuff is going to be on Amazon. It's going to be in all of these places. You know, there's nobody in 2020 is going to have a hard time tracking that record down. You know what I mean? And Mm -hmm. if they want it, they can go get it. And like me trying to break my back or like, you know, stress myself out and lose sleep over trying to like bend over backwards to stock every single like radio artist that people want to hear. Not only is it going to lose me money, but it's going to stress me out to no end. Because you can't have everything at the scale that I'm at currently uh, mm-hmm. and that I probably will always be at. But so what you have to do is if you are going to stock new records and you're going to reduce yourself to that very unfortunate you know, margin that comes with stocking new records, is they have to be interesting ones. They have to be good ones. They have to be ones that maybe... Uh, aren't at the very top of people's minds or at the tip of their tongues saying like, Oh, I should get this. I should get this, you know, every now and then, yes, you do have to have like the Beatles and Pink Floyd and like the starter kit stuff. But like, just the just the like perennial classic. I'm only laughing because you know? I'm
1: remembering buying many of both of those Dan's albums from your store. But well, but it but but it's different because no, uh, you usually buy like older copies of.
2: Them. I do and like do, when that I... stuff comes in, it's nice because it's cheaper. It's not $30, 40 bucks. It's like ten That's or fifteen true. or twenty sometimes. You know, whatever. Yeah. Um and 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 I'm I love getting that stuff in use because the profit margins there on that. You know. Yeah. And so yeah. like and so you know I you have to have some like like an identity. Like there's another shop that um I'm like kind of friends with the guy in the Trade Center and he's like really heavy into like rap and top forty and Houston rap and like that's his shit. Yeah. Like he like pushes that stuff really hard and that's his like focus. So he has like an identity mm-hmm. behind yep. the stuff and I'm like, you know, going more for like stuff that like old funk or psych reissues that have been really hard to find mm-hmm. and um you know
0: And I imagine the local community figures out who's selling what and goes to the one that makes the most sense for their life.
2: Yeah, and and I mean, I don't I don't want to like, you know, I've said I'll keep listing bands. I don't want to stock Billie Eilish records. Like, I don't want to do it. Uh, It's a lot of money to sink into something I don't care about. And so, but I know there are other places in town that do. So, like, if somebody comes in and they're like, hey do you have that Billie Eilish record with the really pretentious yet vapid title? And I'll be like, yeah, sure. Go, <laughs> and go, that's usually
1: how they ask for it. Go
2: over here and get it. I know they've got it over there. You know, like you can get it right now. Yeah. You know, If you, if you're looking for something more interesting and you want to like expand your musical palette, the new arrival section is right there. I guarantee there's something in there for you. Yeah. Um, but I think, yeah. I think the most real and like depiction of how like these situ these like establishments actually operate is when Jack Black is walking around with a guy through all the bins and he's like well you don't own blonde on blonde that's criminal don't worry it's going to be okay and he's just like giving him stuff that they have in the store that is good and if the guy doesn't have it then it's like oh what do you mean like you know the Jesus and Mary chain left off where your precious echo and the bunny or picked Mm -hmm. up where your precious echo and the bunny man left off and like that's a, that's a person, like a live breathing mm-hmm. person who has, you have told some of your interest to that yeah. then takes that information and says, okay, I, I understand something about you. And mm-hmm. here are things that I think that you would also like, and it's a much more like personal, not just like, do you have this? Okay, here, go. You know, yeah if that's do what c- they want to do, do, c- do and I c- happen c- to have it, then sure. But like, you know, that's a very, that's a, a kind of shallow relationship that you have with that person.
0: Do customers in 2020 appreciate that handholding?
2: Well, I don't do it unless people ask and I've got some bad reviews on Yelp because people said that I ignored them. And (laughs) that's because like, if you don't want to talk to me, I'm not going to make you talk to me, you know, like I'll say, Hey, what's up? How are you doing? And if you just say, Oh, I'm doing all right. Then like, cool. Like you don't want, you don't want to talk. That's fine. Like I'll, I'll leave you alone. But if somebody comes in and says like, Hey, do you have Stevie Ray Vaughan? And I say, no, they're like, Oh, well, do you have anything like that? I'll be like, okay, sure. Like here, check this out. Or like you want to dive deeper into blues, go over here. Uh, you know, whatever Mm -hmm. the case may be, but that's only if somebody wants it and they want to engage in it, you know? Um, and I think that that's like, um, something you see in this and like also like the, you know, famous, I will now sell five copies of three EPs by the beta band, which mm-hmm. was done for me in a, a more, um, meaningful and relatable way in the, uh, Hulu series that just came out because, uh, Zoe Kravitz who plays the Rob Gordon character in the Hulu series, instead of the three EPs by the beta band, it's love loss and auto tune by swamp dog, which was like one of my favorite records of that year. And, mm-hmm. and I have actually exactly what she did putting on that record saying, okay, I'm going to sell a, a copy of this right now. I've done that. And I've sold that record. Cause people are like, what is this? Like, this is crazy. And, um, but more than all, like the minutia of like record store life and you know, whatever. Um, I want to address the people that hate this movie for their <laughs> like really gross misunderstanding of like what the film is about. I think like, there are people out there that hate this movie because they're like, oh, that guy Robbie's such an asshole and like, mm. you know, blah, 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 blah. And it's like, yeah, no shit, dude. Like that's the whole point of the movie. Like, I don't, like, I guess some people think that you're trying to like, I mean, you do sympathize with him to a certain extent, but at a certain point in the film, it becomes very clear. Like this guy's a dick. And he only cares about himself and this entire mission is self-serving. He doesn't care about the wreckage he leaves in his wake. And at the end of it, it's like kind of open-ended, like sure him and Laura are like together again, but they're together again in the context of him trying to marry her. Cause it's easier and her saying no. And then being in this kind of like, who knows what's going to happen? Like, in my interpretation of the end of the film, he's probably going to fuck it up again. And she's probably going to leave because it's like, okay, this guy's not really going to change, you know? He
0: mm-hmm. is the
2: sad piece of shit that he is. And, like, he can be a bad person and a flawed character, and the movie can still be good and entertaining.
1: Yeah, I, I, I think it's interesting. I mean, I don't know that that's criticism that should... that I, I wouldn't I wouldn't think it should stop somebody from liking the film, but... It is something that as I watch this film, return to it over the years, it becomes more and more apparent to me how much of an asshole he is as a character. Where in the beginning, I think I was initially charmed by John Cusack, um, you know, and he's just got a charisma to him, especially in certain roles. And I would say this is one of them, despite a lot of his asshole characteristics. Um, he, he's still a pretty attractive kind of guy. And so, I think watching it the first maybe few times i did, I was feeling like okay, you know like i i was i was um <laughs> what's the word i'm looking for i i was more like in sync with his character i was i was more um i felt like okay yeah this these are reasonable things that he's doing watching it again now it's apparent to me how diluted his quest is from the very beginning and how so, i i use the term solipsistic right and how much mm-hmm. now that doesn't diminish i still enjoy the film i think it does everything it does really well and i think it's actually probably a sharper satire of masculinity circa 2000 than i would then i could appreciate at the time and i think that's that's the thing i think if somebody sees that I think that's intentional, right? And it's certainly there in Nick Hornby's book. I don't think this is a celebration of this kind of mentality, but it, there is a little bit of a trick there and that John Cusack really pulls it off so well that, especially to a younger viewer when I was watching it, it could seem like, oh, yeah, this guy's the, you know, sort of epitome of cool. No, he's not. He's yeah. the epitome of how not to approach one's personal life and professional life, perhaps. Yeah, I mean...
2: um. He is John Cusack as a per, as a man is like is charismatic but you know one of my main grievances with the Hulu series is that Zoe Kravitz is like this down and out like her love life is trash and whatever but is also maybe the most beautiful person I've ever seen in my life like John Cusack's a normal, average white guy. And so it's a lot more believable for me. Like, he he is good-looking, but he's not great-looking. And he could be bad-looking if he, like, got a be- the wrong haircut or whatever. You know what I mean? Like, th- we've talked about it before, but this movie is, like, the rom-com version of Fight Club. Like, people have <sighs> entirely missed the point and, like, are celebrating it for the thing that it's making fun of. Or that it's cris- that's criticizing um which I I first saw when I was like 16 or 17 and like Mm -hmm. I was like yeah I'm fucking Rob Gordon my like romantic life is just a series of train wrecks and disasters and uh, Mm -hmm. like I don't know what the fuck I'm doing and like all I do is think about pop culture and like you know make references to it that nobody cares about and like you know whatever but then like I don't know, I turned 18 and was like, or, you know, 21 or like grew up a little bit. And I was like, oh, fuck, actually, no, like this is not the way to conduct oneself. Uh, (laughs) And like figured it out like pretty fucking quick (laughs) that this is not how to go about doing this. Um, So I don't know. Uh, To those people that, like, oh, it's a bad movie, but your head out of I <laughs> uh, yeah, I
1: I I I cannot go there with somebody who says this is a bad movie. Like I said, my relationship to it, my reading of it has changed over the years, but it was just as enjoyable going back to it. It's just, if anything, it's gotten richer because I see it as more of a critique of a very common masculine kind of mindset, a mindset that guys get into about um, Okay. about, uh, you, you know, again, like women is kind of conquest things that they need to achieve or sort of like, you know, again, it's like almost like a video game mentality uh, to, towards women, which which I mean, maybe we should watch this with Scott Pilgrim, although that that's a, a little different. But, you know, there, there <laughs> is there is something like. about him needing to meet these bosses and have it out with them and find out like what they but not really even caring what they have to say.
0: I mean For sure. Yeah. Uh, Yeah I don't know. It's um but I think that's I think that's why so many people do enjoy the film. And that is that you may not be One thing the film teaches us is that all record store owner owners are assholes. So once we agree on that, <laughs> yeah. then it becomes assholes need movies too. I mean, yeah. you know, the reason why it's relatable is because all three of us, I imagine, if we could go back and redo relationships that we were in, we would have been a little less assholey. Yeah.
1: When, well, well that, maybe not David, but the rest of us. <laughs> and I've had my moments. But the, uh, yeah, l- luckily I've been able to to stumble through even those. But the the I think the interesting thing is you see it, and I think it helps to sort of undercut that sad sack mentality where it's like, oh, you know, like the world is against me or whatever. And like in every case, you, you ultimately, and he even comes to understand this to a certain extent himself, it's him who's who's messing up every time it's yeah. him who's taking something for granted or that and he may think he's in the right in that moment, but he's not you know <laughs> yeah. and then with with the say with the uh, with, with the hindsight perspective he's able to to sort of see that but I think it's great the the other thing that I, I don't want to forget to mention about this film that I love is how how deeply tied it is to Chicago and having lived there yeah. for years. You know, getting to see those places. I remember when we moved there, rewatching this in that context, and kind of realizing, oh, these are unfortunately um, the club that they go to to see Lisa Bonet sing um, doesn't exist anymore. At least not as it did then. So, and and it didn't exist then. So I never got to go there. That was called Lounge Axe. but Double Door, where where you see um, you know Barry Dive play at the end. Uh, that that one is. As far as I actually, it may have closed a few years ago, but it was still going when I was there. The Green Mill uh, Lounge where uh, there's the guy on the piano. It's actually Liam Hayes. And, you know, we get it. There are so many great little locations used throughout the film. The Music Box Theater, when he, when he goes on the uh, date with his former girlfriend, who is now a movie reviewer. Mm, and yeah. it's you know, just so many, so many cool locations, and also as somebody who was a super music nerd then, into indie rock and starting to get more and more into some of the classics. Um, you know, opening up with that 13 floor elevators track, uh, the Stereo Lab that shows up later in there, the yeah. the stuff throughout the record store. There's Silver Jews album covers. There's you know the dam, the Slits. I, I mean, just it was a it was a who's who of who you need to know to be cool um, if you wanted to be an indie rocker in the late nineties, early two thousands. And you know, I I still go back to that um, soundtrack album and, and even the cuts that didn't make the soundtrack album. And there's not a, there's not a clunker in there. It's just, it's all the wall music supervision par excellence.
2: Yeah. My buddy Pete that I, who I recently acquired his record collection. Um, he, I remember talking to him about that film, um, and he was like, Oh, yeah, like I didn't. I was really hesitant going in. He hadn't read the book. Uh, and yeah. was just like, Oh, movie about a record store owner. I'll go see it. Um, and he was like, Yeah, as soon as I heard, You're going to miss me, I was like, <laughs> Okay, yeah, they got it right. Like they know what they're doing. You know, because in 2000, that wasn't
1: as well known. It's It still isn't well known. You're, yeah. you, you know, like I, I know what you're saying. Like I feel like it's probably a little bit, but. And that that's coming from somebody living in Texas where 13th floor elevators are probably remembered a little more fondly than they are in the rest of the country. True. But yeah, I mean, I was just getting like, I had just started listening to them a little bit because of the Rocky Erickson resurgence that was kind of going on in the 90s. Yeah. And that, you know, that kind of blew my mind that they're picking this kind of, uh, you know, gem of a track from the garage rock era and just uh you know and and what a blazing start to the film yeah, front to back great great music cues
2: yeah for sure joe any uh, final thoughts
0: i'm ready to talk about this beer
2: you are so loud yeah i don't know man. what happened when you well,
0: I, that happened last time when I had when I got kicked off the call and got back onto it. That was when yeah. The, it seems yeah, so. I don't know, yeah, like the so system weird. needs
1: to like recalibrate or something because it, yeah, it does that. When you come back on, it's like boom out okay, of the now game. Am I now? now it's okay. okay now yeah, it's okay.
0: Let me answer the question again. I'm ready to talk about this beer. Uh, All
2: right, cool. It's, what do you think about it?
0: I got to tell you. And a majority of our listeners won't understand this because they haven't been down to Corpus Christi. On the other side of Corona, when you come down to Corpus Christi, you look us up and we'll go drink a beer with you. But in our local scene, Rebel Toad, I think I've convinced myself over the course of enjoying this Crowler largely alone that Suicide Blonde might be my favorite everyday beer that they produce.
1: Okay. It's not a, not a bad take on that. I
0: and I'll, t- I, I'll tell you this, and you guys know this already. Blonde, my one of my least favorite mass mm-hmm. styles. I'm not a blonde fan. I when we decided to go suicide blonde, I had kind of forgotten. David, thank you for reminding me. They're blending this with an IPA. It comes across really balanced and 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 remarkably delicious.
1: I agree with you, Joe. Um, and, and partly why I I recommended this one, it, it's one that I've liked uh, in the past. The I think interesting thing for me with with the uh, the sort of um, the double IPA that's kind of part of the equation here, the Suicide Hop, is that over the years I, when they started brewing that one a couple years ago, I was there for it. I was I was digging it. I I liked that nice multi double IPA. And since then, I think it's probably because I've gotten more into hazy IPAs and New England IPAs that have more of that kind of citrusy, like they do one liquid haze, which is not on right now, sadly. I'd happily get a crowler of that again at some point. Um, But the liquid haze has more of that citrusy kind of um, aromatic, not quite as bitter kind of hot profile that we're associating a lot more now with the current IPAs and New England IPAs and hazy IPAs. The the Suicide Hop is still kind of an old school, um, if anything, maybe like kind of East Coast approach to the double IPA. Very malty, still a good level of bitterness. And to me, it's a little more than I want for an everyday drinker, certainly. I mean, I might have a little bit, but I'm not going to. But the Blonde mix here helps to cut that a little bit, bring it down, lightens it up. And it makes it a much more drinkable kind of beer for me. So I, I get where you're coming from, Joe. I could see drinking this much more regularly. And it is one that I do occasionally get when I go in. So I was happy to to get the Crowler. They're doing some great sours now, too, just, just to put it out there. And, yeah. and you know, we're, we're not uh, necessarily reviewing one for the podcast. But if anybody is in the local area and one of our local listeners hasn't made it to Rebel Toad yet, I would highly recommend checking out some of those sour options.
2: Yeah, yeah. Um... Friday, I made some micheladas with the pickle sour, Mm. uh, which was fantastic. And the sour was really good too. I mean, yeah, you guys are right. Um, It does balance it out a little bit. Um, For my taste, I I always – and I'm sure I've said this on the show before. I thought I didn't like IPAs for a long time, but I just didn't really like – The like more traditional American style of it, really bitter and hoppy and stuff like that. And so for me, the suicide hop is a bit much. I don't think that it's a bad IPA. I just, it's not like my preference. And so it's not what I Mm -hmm. normally go to. And I could drink like a taster of it if I got a flight. Uh, And, but that would be about as much as I would want. But this one, it does really cut it. It balances out really nice and it makes it just like super, like almost not sessionable but like very almost like close to yeah. like i could drink a bunch of these in a row it's delicious it, i i particularly like blondes quite a bit um so that really kind of kind of does it for me and works one, for you yeah. yeah it's one that i recommend a lot to people when they come in the bar and i'm i'm tending it
1: right uh, on did, but yeah, did
0: we mention the abv
1: i don't know that we did
0: I can't find it online. So forget I was that, gonna, I said
2: that. Did did they even say Yeah, I think it's seven point three is what they put it at. Okay. Well, I
0: think it, what they You're estimated. the person to trust, Carlos. You're the person to trust. Yeah.
2: Okay. It's yeah. hard to get precise
1: about it, but it I was, was gonna say when blend. you're mixing two, you're kind of approximating, I would imagine, but still, yeah. yeah so that, yeah.
0: Yeah, I think so. Well a, a full crowler by myself of a with a one sip given away to the better half, seven point three is working just fine.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and in the second half of the episode, folks, Joe on the floor. No, <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's a leg up from the
2: Montucky Colts.
1: Yell so really loud that. into my
0: headphones when y'all are ready to go.
1: <laughs> no, uh, but we, we do. We have another, as always, uh, film on tap that we have uh, you know picked to pair with uh, high fidelity and you know another set in a record store. And we'll have another beer open, and that'll be ready when we come back.
2: try guys we are in All fact back.
0: Around, do it back do it
2: over we're back in the Make second half back. of the episode we are going to open up another beer we're going to get straight into it because I am going to need it um, and uh, this is um, Kentucky Louisville Kentucky this this is a new Welcome, state for Kentucky. us right right it's a new Our state first
0: trip to Kentucky
2: first trip okay mm-hmm. this is a the Goodwood stout aged in bourbon barrels um, from Goodwood beer so yeah bourbon barrel stout
1: Ooh, ooh, this is going to gush, I think.
0: I um, Did it gush? No, it was, my- it was
1: very uh,
0: pent-up. Oh, man, it pours fast, y'all. <laughs>
1: ooh,
0: that made a mess. Uh, we're trying to get through all 50 states, and we're down to 12. After this Kentucky introduction to beer in a movie, we'll be down to 11. We are going to use these quarantine episodes to make it all the way through these con- the, the, our entire... <laughs> for sure do the do the best we can
2: yeah so we're gonna we're gonna let the the fizz settle down a little bit because this one poured real hot it Uh, did very carbonated very carbonated and then uh, and then get into a uh more in-depth review of it but before we get into our uh uh next film dave top five movies to avoid during the quarantine stay-at-home order
1: Ooh, all right, yeah, um, I love a good top five challenge coming off of our uh, high fidelity discussion. Um, You know, this one is, you know, again, this is gonna be subjective, these top fives always are. Um, And and we've talked a little bit about this in our first quarantine episode, this kind of, there are certain people who seem to be compelled to watch things about pandemics and or sort of post-apocalyptic outcomes of pandemics. But I'm on the opposite end of that spectrum. Okay, right, right now, even if I can in, have interest in those films, usually, which I do, when I'm living through that kind of thing, I'm not into. I'm not. I'm not into it. I'm not. I'm not thinking about it. So, um, my top five here, where uh, these are films that I want to avoid uh, to not watch during this time of quarantine. Number five, Outbreak. Ah, uh, the 1995 film, which which has shot up in popularity, but because again, there are many people who are pervert or not perversely. I guess maybe I'm perversely not drawn to it, but you know, many people want to investigate that thing. That's something I want to stay away from. Um, the number four, also from 1995, Twelve Monkeys, the Terry Gilliam film, yeah. uh, you know, with Bruce Willis, uh, Brad Pitt, w- which he was nominated for an Oscar for the first time. Um, and uh, great film. Just don't want to watch it right now. <laughs> um, number three, Dawn of the Dead, 1978, George Romero. Uh, l- love it, great film. Uh, you know, but especially when we're talking about you know shopping and the sort of perils of it and consumerism and what maybe capitalism has done uh, that's not been so effective in a time of crisis like this. Th- that's a film I don't want to be revisiting right now. Number two. Twenty-eight days later, from 2002, Danny Boyle, um, great film again. All of these are films that I like on some level, um, but but just don't want to watch right now. But you know, the the outcome of a zombie apocalypse where uh, the character begins the film just having woken up after you know being in a medically induced coma and uh and you know finds the world has crumbled around him. And number 1, the film I think that's most popular in this whole pandemic that I am certainly avoiding avoiding, Contagion from 2011, <laughs> Steven Soderbergh film. Uh I saw
0: it.
1: great film from a great filmmaker with a fantastic cast, Marion Cotillard, Matt Damon, Jude Law, Kate Winslet. Uh, you know, it's it's just a stacked cast. Um don't want to see it right now. <laughs> not yeah. interested. All five of these are films that I would, I'll would i go back to later, but, but I'm just avoiding during this pandemic. Makes sense. Joe, yeah. top
2: five episodes that you want us to do while we're uh, in our stay-at-home orders.
0: Well, we've got a bevy of online content available to us. I thought I'd start my top five films. Uh, I'm sorry, Beer and a Movie episodes I would program if I was by myself. And I wanted to get one new release in there, a movie okay. that i really, I haven't seen it. I know you have, David, Carlos, I can't remember. Bombshell.
1: Oh, yeah.
2: Okay.
0: I, I was looking through new releases that are video on demand that are coming up over the next couple of weeks. I'm not seeing anything super exciting. But Bombshell was uh, nominated for an Oscar or two. I'd pair that with Horrible Bosses. Huh. Okay. Interesting. Very interesting. Okay, guys, this one we ignored. Carlos, I think you were the biggest staunchest advocate to ignore it. The very last Star Wars in the original uh, story. Oh, Rise, Wars, of Rise of Skywalker. Yeah. Rise of the Skywalker. And guys let's let's it's just Rise creatives. of
2: Skywalker. There's no the in the title. <laughs> I, I, I,
0: I, 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 I. I haven't seen it yet. That's a good high-fidelity call. <laughs> I haven't seen it yet, Jack Black. Uh, but I'm going to pair that with Star Trek II, Wrath of Khan. Okay. Ooh. Let's get two uh, mega franchises in there together that are in space. Yeah. All right, number three, I'm going with... Uh, we've never done Kevin S- Smith on the show. Clerks, and if no one objects, Chasing Amy. Okay. And then You Know Me, I'm doing all directors. I learned, Carlos, recently you hadn't seen There Will Be Blood all the way through. Let's do a PTA episode. Okay. Boogie Nights and There Will Be Blood, whichever film is first, I'll let you guys decide. Okay. And then my number one uh, new episode that I would do, not five in a row, we gotta put some, y'all's input's critical, but Hitchcock, Vertigo, is the lead, and I'll let you two choose the second film.
2: Okay. Uh-huh. I There's would want, to, I would want to
0: do a Hitchcock episode the most. Okay. we never done it.
2: I would say that the two that I would uh, – that I feel the most strong, I don't have a full top five for that question, but I, I, would, I do really, really want to cover The Hunt, um, mm-hmm. and I would like to uh, cover the um, – It'd be a. It'd have to be a two part episode, but the uh, Depression trilogy from Lars von Trier. Those would wow, be, those would be my two.
0: Right I, so that I feel strong. Haunt. It would be Haunt, and then a La- Lars von Trier episode, and then the follow up would be two La- Lars von Trier in a row.
2: Well, the Lars von Trier Depression, because m- most of his films are uh, exist in like thematic trilogies. So his depression trilogy is starts with Antichrist, and then uh, second is Melancholia. But then the third is a two-parter. It's Nymphomaniac parts one and two. So mm-hmm. because of, of, first of all, Melancholia already is like three hours on its own as a film. So the first, we it definitely have to be Antichrist and Melancholia in part one. And then part two would have to be Nymphomaniac part one and two. Because there's I've, no way that we could do all of them in wow. one episode.
0: I have written I've written it down. I think it's important that we choose before we get done recording so people can watch and join us next week. No, it's
1: all a right. tall order. Join us next week. We're not going to do all of these next week. <laughs>
0: yeah. No, no, we're going to we're going to figure which out. we're going <laughs> to okay, figure Okay, okay.
1: Giant before we get done. Okay, all right. Giant size beer right. movie. Yeah, I mean if I if I had to throw something in there, you know, um, I have this interest in going back to watch some things, rewatch things, also pick up on things that I kind of missed out on the first time or maybe, or maybe have never gotten around to. Okay. Um, and so for me, a, a couple things that I would really love to revisit, one would be the films of Jacques Tati, which I don't know if you guys are really fans of his, but he was a French uh, comic filmmaker from the 50s and 60s. Uh, his stuff, uh, you know, is is in the Criterion collection, and I, I loved it when I discovered it back in the 2000s, and it's something that I can go to that I actually rewatched his first feature the other day just because it is very um, charming and easy to digest and yet so clever and full of little interesting moments when you, you so it's a film that you films that you can watch very closely and enjoy but also films that you can um sort of digest easily and and, and make you feel good so the, the, i i need more of that in my life right now for sure <laughs> and uh and another kind of along those lines um where i go i you know recently and i can't even tell you well i can tell you i was listening to another uh film podcast which I should have had the name uh, ready to go, no, but
0: no matter the name, inferior. Go ahead. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, perhaps, uh, but but anyhow, the the <laughs> podcast they were talking about the film Rashomon, uh, Akira Kurosawa film from nineteen fifty. Um, It was my introduction to Kurosawa and it made me want to rewatch that film. I haven't done it yet, but I would love to find a way to uh, go back into Rashomon and maybe pair that with another one of Kurosawa's films that I haven't already seen. And there are quite a few. He made a lot of films. Yeah. Um, so so it'd be great to maybe pull together a Kurosawa episode at some point here in the, uh, in the coming months. But th- those would be a couple that I would throw out.
0: I've got it all written down. Maybe at the end of the episode, we'll play a game and figure out what our next episode is. And Ooh. then,
2: and then last top five, um, top five, uh, <laughs> top five records to listen to while Ooh. under quarantine. Um, the first one is going we all to are
0: gonna win this.
2: The first one's going to be Alice Coltrane journey and such a Denanda. and Uh, I think that's mm-hmm. how you say it. Um, I can't pronounce a lot of my favorite Alice Coltrane records, um, <laughs> but I'm usually listening to them by myself, so it doesn't matter. Um, number four is a compilation album uh, from Light in the Attic called Microcosm, and it's like... Um, I need to find, the, find how they describe it, because um, they're visionary music from continental Europe... In the booklet that it has, it uh, talks about how most of the artists on the this particular record did not like the uh, genre classification of New Age. So I'll go ambient and Krautrock kind of stuff. You've got Vangelis, Ashrod Temple, Popova, mm. um, et etc. It's a really, really good three LP compilation. Yeah. Um, then after that, the new Swamp Dog is banging. Uh, <laughs> it's so good. So, so, so good. Uh, maybe album of the year already. Um, and then number two is Bobby Gentry's second album, The Delta Sweetie, uh, or The Delta Sweet. It's spelled kind of funny. It could be Delta Sweet.
0: Um,
2: mm-hmm. I am really enjoying that record. I obviously love Ode to Billy Joe. It's a great you know, debut album from... From anybody, but this one is a little farther out there and is more uh, ambitious in its arrangement and instrumentation. More conceptual, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Definitely more conceptual. Great episode of Cocaine and Rhinestones about her mm. and Tyler Mayhew Co. Podcast. Go listen to that. Uh, and then number one, it's got to be hypo Negative. World coming down. Uh, <laughs> oh God! And that is uh, love yeah, it. I was All listening right. Listening to it before we started recording this. Great record. Uh so that's my uh those are my top five records to listen to while in quarantine.
1: Beautiful, beautiful. Uh it, the, you know, I'm uh, along somewhat similar lines for me, if I if I'm gonna pick the albums that I'm wanting to listen to right now in a time of quarantine. Uh number five, Dorothy Ashby, Afro Harping. This is kind I of my, putting go-to. That on my list. I I I love this album. I've loved it ever since I was turned onto it by actually listening the another band the high llamas they have a song called dorothy ashby on one of their albums and it made me kind of seek out this great jazz harpist um who you know didn't release a ton of albums but the ones that she did release they're all just amazing and this is my favorite and it's something that i can have on in the background that just kind of soothing nice music but even again if i want to sit there and i really want to focus on it it's it's just as beautiful uh, scrutinizing it so that's in there. Number four, old standby for me, Boards of Canada, Music Has the Right to Children. This is a Scottish uh, duo who um, combine elements of hip-hop and electronic music and do a lot of really—I mean, f- for those who are into music theory, they do a lot of interesting things with chords um, that, that would be unexpected in a lot of popular music, and and yet they pull it off very— very beautifully and and in a way that gives you kind of a strange feeling as you're listening to it, slightly unsettling, but also very calm and soothing in its own way. So love them, always go back to them. Number three, Suzanne Ciani, uh, Italian Italian name, but an American uh, musician who worked a lot with early synthesizers, in particular one called the Buchla which was that that was the name of the inventor. And there is a record of hers that came out just a few years ago with a couple live concerts she did in 1975 that for those who like noodly synth music, it's I I mean, I can think of nothing better. You're going to love this if if you're somebody who likes that. I mean, she even did some soundtrack work over the years, too. So so look out for her. Number two, Nick Drake. And I would say any of his three albums, but I'm going to put five leaves left out there. It's his first one. It's the one that sort of I, I think I probably heard the first and it just I mean I, I love it's so soothing, peaceful, folk, um melancholy, beautiful voice. G- get yourself some Nick Drake. And number 1, I got I got to bow down to the king, Brian Eno, ambient one music mm. for airports. I'll I'll put that on and uh and and it will take me away to another place if I let it. So that that's good. My, you can tell I want to escape and be calmed in this quarantine time.
2: Yeah, for sure. That was, that, that was my uh, experience with Microcosm yesterday. Yeah. It was one I hadn't put on in a very long time, but I was, uh, was in a very positive mental state and was just looking to relax, and it was good. And then I followed it up with, honorable mention, Aldous Harding's album designer.
1: Oh, nice. Absolutely.
2: But so the second movie well, that we're cool. talking about, we're probably halfway through our beer at this point. We're going to have to probably crack a third. <laughs> but uh, the second, uh, second movie we're talking about is Empire Records. I don't know, nor do I give a shit when it came out. Uh, it's a nice bad night, movie. Um, <laughs> it's just so, so fucking stupid and cartoonish and uh, <laughs> totally ridiculous. has a Has a fine soundtrack, sure, but that's about all that it's going to get out of me as far as praise is concerned. Um, it is every everything High Fidelity does right. This movie does wrong, and it's somewhat painful to watch mm. for me. It's very cringy. Uh, <laughs> well,
0: you, well, you, hey, hey, Carlos, you threw your cards on the table. David, can you do a, any kind of job synopsizing the plot of the film? I know that it certainly starred. A lot of people whose names we know.
2: It's a, it's a, it's a poor, dazed, and confused ripoff also. Interesting.
1: That's, that's, have you read <laughs> my notes? <laughs> so uh, basic premise, you have a record store that's independently owned, but a large independently owned record store um, in kind of an unnamed city that is uh, about to be sold. To a record store chain, there used to be these things, kids. Uh, record store chains that would actually uh, make enough money selling records that they could proliferate and be, you know, multiple uh, locations all over the world. Anyhow, little history lesson. Uh, but the, so the big corporation is going to take it over, and what you have are the workers of the store. Some of them sort of reacting to that in the midst of this being a day where there is a sort of fading pop artist coming to the store to do an in-store sort of promo event um dealing with life love and the impending what who's whose phone joe's is
2: joe's fucking instant messaging me
0: and i'm getting okay. the sound i'm doing the behind the scenes david keep talking right. Ignore it.
2: i was trying to mute it before he sent another message because i saw he was <laughs> typing
0: okay um, did you mute it question mark send you did okay
1: um so so anyhow so all of that unfolding with the backdrop of this corporate takeover about to happen at the store
2: uh yeah i'm sorry i was i was panicking trying to mute the chat did you mention the atlantic city bit they're near atlantic city are they in atlantic city well but the, the but the plot point
1: Oh, yeah, right. Because the, the, the that, night manager,
2: uh, Lucas, takes the deposit. It's like, what, nine grand yes. or something. And he goes, he thinks, okay, I'm going to go gamble it. I'm going to make enough money gambling to save the store. And he loses it all. And mm-hmm. then that's kind of what sparks the conflict because then everything's like, that is happening on like a huge day for an in-store where like, you know, some, some big, or formerly big pop star is showing up. And right. it's a bunch of like really cartoonish, kids that aren't like real people like doing ridiculous stuff and like it's incredibly melodramatic and over the top and uh nobody acts like that really <laughs> the character lucas is the most insufferable twat i think i've ever seen on film uh and you know nobody works like they're all in the back the entire film and the fucking owner or not owner but the like main managers like playing drums with all of them in the back like yeah as if the store is closed but it's like fully open and it's a big enough store that clearly their traffic is high enough that while he's back there banging away on his drums dicking around there's probably a couple dozen people shopping and nobody's out there like to check them out or anything they'll you know take their money like, it's just fucking ridiculous Mm-hmm.
0: Hey, Carlos, where were you in 1995 when the film came out? That was three.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> so, uh, David, you, I mean, I, 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 the the main part of my talk in High Fidelity was how did it hold up?
1: Uh-huh.
0: And, and I know where I was in 95, I didn't see this movie until last night. I've never oh, seen okay. this movie. 95, I missed it. It wasn't a movie I well, needed it was a to bomb. see. To. It, it was a bomb. Oh, was sure. it really? So, David, where were you? There is a generation of people that hold Empire Records because of the time imprint of when they saw it and their youth and that movie that makes no sense that you love from your youth that love this movie.
1: Yeah. Well, Well, Joe, like, as you know... Th- it, till I hear it from you, you know, that you're, that was a reference, uh, that that you hadn't seen this, I'm kind of surprised. But it, it did, because this was one that didn't do well in the box office. It, it like sort of notoriously bombed at the box office. And I can even remember a little bit of that, because I was definitely uh, part of the target audience. You know, I was a senior in high school when this this, this was like the fall of my senior year, And I had loved films like Singles and Reality Bites that had kind of come just before this, where it was like kind of, let's, you know, take a mix of alternative rock and put it on the soundtrack and have kind of, you know, attractive up-and-coming actors and and whatnot. Now, these are a little younger, right? The the Reality Bites and Singles, that was more like the 20-something set. But this was an attempt to kind of do something like that, I think, with a more teenage audience. And... So it should have, it should have, you know, really worked for me. I did not see it in the theater, but I did. I think probably by the time, by the end of my senior year, when it had come out on video, I had seen it, and I remember finding it, you know, funny enough. Uh, whatever, like I, I do agree with what Carlos is saying that there, these are more caricatures than characters. Uh, there, there's not a whole lot going there, going on there in terms of real motivated actions and behaviors going on with the, you know, like driving the plot forward, it, it seems kind of a, almost an excuse just to have these various sequences, these various scenes happen in the movie. Um, it, at the time, I found it charming enough, re-watching it, uh, I I don't know. I, I kind of went between being, there were certain parts where I was definitely bored and uninterested, but then there were certain moments where I was actually kind of surprised by how much I was liking at least some of the visual elements of the film i do like the record store the setting of it there's something appealing about it some of the songs on the soundtrack have aged very well i think there are a few on there that i you know I, i would think of as being still really good songs some haven't aged as well at least for me and 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 sort of so there's this interesting um i think for somebody who grew up it it was coming of age in the 90s and the alternative rock era there's like this kind of push pull between the stuff that's like i'm like yeah that's still good music and then the stuff that's like oh my god this was dominating the radio that i was listening to then and i don't really think this is all that good so there's that constant sort of tug of war that's going on there for me um but i but i still find it somewhat interesting is this a great film I don't think so. (laughs) Um, I would. I certainly wouldn't be saying to anybody, you know, oh, you need to go see this film. If I think if somebody wanted that '90s alterna rock film, I would say, yeah, you're better off watching Singles. You're better off watching uh, Reality Bites. You're maybe better off, you know, uh, maybe even Clerks, in a certain sense. But, uh, th- yeah, th- this, this wouldn't be my first one. But this one also seems to be doing something a little bit different. And there is kind of, I think there's an attempt at something kind of lively and almost like, m- like a musical. I have a friend who actually, um, he-, he loves this film. And-, and he says that this is like a reimagining of the musical, in a sense, um, which has faded in popularity over time. And-, and to him, it kind of, it brings in elements of that. And I can see that. That's generous.
2: I when I the, the first time I watched this movie, which <laughs> yeah.
0: uh, I know exactly what you mean, Carlos. He's right. He, he, that is generous. The
2: the first time I watched this movie, which wasn't for this podcast, it was a while back. Um, I should have just turned it off when one of the neon signs in front of the store said "vinyls." <laughs> like, are you right. fucking serious? And like, and that's that's such a good like example of the lack of care and like respect for like the culture subculture that they're trying to depict on screen that Mm -hmm. they would make such an obvious and egregious error like that because they were just like oh yeah we'll try to do something that's dazed and confused ask but like you said with younger people throw a bunch of alternative on the soundtrack um and you know they hit all the fucking points for the time gin blossoms cranberries better than ezra Uh, So, you know, um, but yeah, just, just really overall, like, you know, there are some moments that are, you know, interesting enough, but I think as a whole, it's more or less when it's not cringy, it's boring. And when it's not boring, it's cringy. (laughs) And really the only good thing that you get out of it is damn the man saved the empire. Yeah. It's like really the only saving grace moment of it. Joe, what'd you think? Yeah.
0: Well, I made a point that the during High Fidelity that these are both studio films. And I'm um, looking at the notes that I'd taken to talk about, you guys have done it. I mean, uh, Dazed and Confused was a near-perfect film about high school kids. And then Empire Records is well, high school kids, right? Um, very, very imperfect. The difference, the st- a studio and their budgeting and their, you know, focus groups <laughs> trying to figure out what high school kids want to see versus an artistic direction and low budget. Nothing wrong with that if if that budget is put directly and entirely into telling the story that we want to tell. This movie makes no sense (laughs) when you watch it many, many years after it came out. And and, and and I'm trying to give it every benefit of the doubt because I know, like I said, there's many, many people that love this movie. They were of a certain age. It's an age imprint from 1995. But I missed it, and I like to go see movies that, you know, need a help.
1: So I'm curious, though. Can you expand on what doesn't make sense about the film? Because I think it's almost too simplistic – to really just feel like—I mean, th- my problem with it there is, is again, no doubt. Character- there is no doubt. Caricature- there is no, character- no doubt why caricature
0: Sorry, David, we're talking. Go ahead, you please finish. Well, I'm
1: just—you know—my problem with it has more to do with the characters who I don't relate to as much. But that's more about them being cartoonish than it is totally doing things that I don't understand. And the, uh, um, the—you know—the. The, the the basic conflict of the store is going to be sold, they're not going to have a place to be, to, to have this kind of community that they, they've, you know, I get that. I wish it was done better. I think there could be a good movie made about that. But I don't know that this has all the elements
0: to that. This was a failed opportunity. I mean, more than anything else. I mean, but but the boss of the store has no business running a business with the business business ethnic that he has, as Carlos said. There was not a record store in 1995 across America that did dancing montages. So is this, you know, in real life? Where someone takes another employee's shirt off say it again carlos
2: where someone takes another employee's shirt off in the middle of the sales floor
0: (laughs) (laughs) real behavior so are we seeing a fantasy are we seeing yeah for comedy but then but then you've got the critical scene the best scene the scene you should find on youtube tonight of when it's revealed that um the Liv Tyler character is a pill popper, and you know all of this. Save by the Bell level emoting of serious issues in in people's lives that are then brushed aside and never really talked about again. Yeah, the movie is nonsensical; it doesn't make sense, right. and it's a studio I get, I get pro. It's a studio project for a certain um, audience: teens. Mm -hmm. that requires a PG-13 rating, but the PG-13 rating is the suicide note because this is an R-rated world. And Carlos is going to tell you that at a record store, you use the F-word from time to time. And if a conversation goes into a, if there's a weed smoker character, you're allowed to watch him smoke weed. 1995 was a horrible year for movies because of the PG-13 rating. That 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 broad audience requirement where you alienate all of the audience.
2: I actually mm-hmm. we, uh, really hated that scene that you were talking about where all of people's dirt comes out. Oh, so it's horrible. It's melodramatic and awful. Yeah. Um,
0: yeah.
1: You know. it, it, I mean, I think that's where the, w- one of the things that goes wrong. They, they want you to care about these kind of deep revelations that are going on with the characters, but they haven't really built characters. They Like, again, they've built more cartoons or caricatures. Um and you know, it's almost if they had just wanted, if they had stuck with kind of a basic conflict of the stores getting bought out, and what are these people going to do, and make it into more of a fantasy kind of musical thing, and just leaned into that, I think they could have had an interesting, fun sure. film with that. But but they kind of want that, like, but it, but that was kind of called for by the mid '90s. This like edginess without necessarily fully being edgy, <laughs> like uh, a Disney hint of that. The Disneyland yeah.
2: Version. yeah, I guess, yeah. Uh In case anybody out there was wondering, this movie made $300,000 at the box well, office. Yeah. And,
1: Notorious bomb. And
2: it looks like they are trying to keep that budget under wraps because I cannot find...
0: Uh, <laughs> I cannot find yeah. anything. But however,
2: but, so you know, we talked about the soundtrack. I mean, there's a quicksand song in the film that's not on the mm-hmm. record. Uh, an AC/DC song, Dishwalla. Mm-hmm. Uh, that Guar. That that seems kind of shitty, but at least Guar's in there. Adolescence. Yeah. Uh, I mean, there's the there's some good stuff. Suicidal tendencies. Daniel Johnston. That didn't make the soundtrack. So even the soundtrack underperforms. <laughs> I mean, come on. Yeah.
1: Although I think I, I do think the soundtrack actually sold pretty well. It did. For, yeah. for this. It was, it was I, a I think big, it, um... it was one of those cases where the film itself bombed at the box office, but it had it was packed with enough hit. I mean, till I hear it from you, which I, you know, referenced earlier, was a huge radio hit for the gin blossoms and was sort of the lead off track on the soundtrack. But yeah, you had, the as Joe mentioned, the cranberries, that Edwin Collins song that got a lot of radio airplay. Um, better than ezra cracker i mean the, the, these were you know the luminaries of alternative rock radio in the mid
0: 90s as per a s- studio conference room
2: yeah 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 but you know i don't know i i, I don't i just don't <laughs> care
0: about it well, we don't have much to say
2: yeah it's not good it's not good yeah if you want to see it because your friend said it's good and like that you need to see it and like whatever fine i guess if you want to i think
1: i think it's a kind of i think what joe was saying it's i think it's a film if you have some attachment to from the 90s you're probably still enjoying it on some level and like i said even though watching it now i don't really like it as much as i did then there's there's a little bit of a nostalgia kick that goes on there where i'm like and especially in this moment of quarantine where i'm like there, something frivolous and kind of silly to watch that I can, you know, enjoy kind of some of the the poorly executed stuff as much as it might infuriate me other times. I can find it just kind of, oh, well, at least it's not reminding me of a pandemic. You know, yeah, the, the, sure. there, there's something to be said it's it is a kind of escapism that's that that it's aiming for and that I think it, it gets to. But yeah I mean th- this isn't a film where again if somebody is saying hey how do I do the 90s alternative rock film starter kit don't don't start with this one yeah. no
2: it gives me no. something to think about that's not a global crisis or something to be mad about that's not a global crisis so that's <laughs> yeah there you go there you go Fury that's him. good enough yeah. I guess what do you think about the beer
1: yeah I mean I'm not mad at it but I'm I'm not loving it I mean the The problem that, okay, when you say bourbon barrel stout, that's that's a big promise, right? It, set, I
0: mean, sex, it, it certainly sets expectations.
1: Mm-hmm. You, you want it to be, you know, robust. You want it to have the body that, like, the body's not there. It's a little too thin for me. Um, I, it's not bad, but I'm not getting a lot of bourbon in there. I mean, if you didn't tell me that this was bourbon barrel aged, I would have never guessed that um i would have thought of this as kind of a middle-of-the-road stout of some sort drinkable good fine but i think based on what it's advertising itself as i'm a little disappointed
0: yeah you know as our first foray into kentucky when you're going to put the word bourbon into the title Mm. there's a level of expectation there for sure now Now, we literally bought this because it's a Kentucky beer available in the city we live in. That's the reason why this is on the show. And I picked the stout of a couple of options because I know that you guys enjoy a great stout. Uh, David, your, your analysis is spot on. I'm not getting really any of those whiskey or bourbon things in the back of my throat that I enjoy getting when I'm drinking a really great bourbon barrel stout. I'm getting
2: hints of the bourbon barrel but it seems to me that this was made using bourbon barrel chips and not actually putting the beer in a bourbon barrel for an extended period of time
1: i would agree with you in terms of flavor but the can says stout aged in a bourbon barrel
2: yeah you're right i don't know maybe they didn't do it long enough now my biggest complaint i could get past all of that but my biggest complaint is that it is incredibly carbonated. It really and is. And is, that results in a lighter body than You're I would want right. from a bourbon You're right. style. I stout. I can get past the bourbon flavor not being as strong as maybe I would want, but the I don't want a super, super carbonated stout.
1: Again, I, I would put this at like if I, you know we have no scale on this show, but I would put this on a... If if somebody hands it to me, I'm happy to have it and thank you, Joe. I appreciate you bringing it to us. Um, I, you know, I I don't feel at all offended by it. It doesn't have off flavors. It's not a bad beer, but it's one that if I was in the the beer store and I picked it up because bourbon barrel stout made in Kentucky stout aged in a bourbon barrel, I would feel disappointed by. It.
2: Definitely, I agree. Um, but have you seen High Fidelity and? Have you seen Empire Records? Let us know. Twitter at Beer Movie Show. Instagram at Beer in a Movie. Facebook.com slash Beer and a Movie TX. Beer and a Movie Podcast There's a link to listen to all of our past episodes there to fill up your free time in quarantine. Uh, rate, review, subscribe. Apple Podcasts. You already know what the fuck's going on with all that. Um, uh, when this episode comes out, Locals List Voting will be live uh, for uh, um, the top five... We made it, and we made it into the top five. We've hit the voting round. Thank you, listeners. So thank you. We're exceptional. Thank you to all the listeners that have uh, that went and nominated us for that. We are, I think, objectively the best podcast that is uh, nominated (laughs) there. And so you, I think, are thus inclined to vote for us or uh, obligated is what, I'm, is what I meant to say, obligated to vote for us. So do that. Uh, you can go to thebenmag.com and there should be like a big banner at the top that says vote in locals list and go to arts and entertainment, podcasts, beer and a movie. Uh, you know what the fuck it is. Um, and
1: until next time. What came first, the music or the misery? Oh,
2: Hello, baby.
1: Hi, what are you doing? Well,
0: do you want
2: over? You call me on
0: my car with a je You say you need a little of my hula I know you get lonely and you cannot not dead but say no more, baby, I'll be running every way.
2: Say no more, more now, more. I'll bring my
0: love in right to your front door. Here I come, baby, she's t'en go. Let's talk a kissing, baby. Say no more. Say no more.